1: And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Coming to you from Florida's beautiful Treasure Coast and bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. Here to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at and conventional wisdom is often just an illusion. We're live on iHeartRadio, on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Spotify and all your favorite directories. You can follow me on Twitter at right now Jim Dawes, or shoot me an email at RightNowJimDaws at gmail.com or you can call the vent line and get something off your chest at 772 750 at 772 245 245 750 Well, we're sort of stuck in this news cycle. You know, we've got three big stories going on, the coronavirus and uh, what's going on with that, whether or not we ought to, in fact, be panicked. There's more and more evidence coming out all the time that uh, the the media is reporting these numbers in a very manipulated way in order to hype them uh, and, and, you know, cause a panic. You can say that that's because, you know, they want to hurt Trump. Or you can say it's because they want to sell papers and get eyeballs, but uh, they're definitely doing it, and it's becoming more and more clear. So we've got the coronavirus, and we've got the, the economic fallout from it. Uh, you know, I've got a, a, a daughter that's entering the, the workforce, has uh, recently graduated from college, and it's just a terrible time to be starting your career and, uh, and trying to scrape out a living and, and become an independent adult. And uh, and that's happening all over. The, the Congress is about to take up another one of these multi-trillion dollar spending bills. Just uh, airdrop cash all over the country. And we're going to have to deal with the fallout from that someday. And the other big story, of course, is the, uh, the unrest in the streets. As we see these <sighs> miseducated, uh, lunatic Marxists, uh, this new generation that we've got coming up, mostly, you know, white hipsters. Out in the streets, uh, challenging the police, trying to literally burn down a federal courthouse and police precincts and and in um, city halls and such. And we're going to open the show with that topic because it is. Uh, there's been some incredible developments overnight. But I want to uh, clue you in to what's coming up in the second half. We're going to be joined by Gregory Copley. Copley. He is president of the International Strategic Studies Association and author of the new book, The New Total War of the 21st Century. We're going to talk about what's going on over in China. As we've been distracted, um, we've had a a lot less coverage of, of a catastrophe, a biblical level catastrophe in the making in China as the Three Gorges Dam, which just happens to be, by the way, in Hubei province, just Upstream of uh, Wuhan is showing signs of possibly failing. The, uh, the, it, it was advertised as the largest dam in the world when it came online about a decade ago. And it was built to, uh, you know, sort of third world standards and it is undergoing just biblical rains and floods. And if that dam fails, and it is showing signs of stress, major signs of stress, there are literally, literally tens of millions of people, cities downstream, that are uh, in, the, uh, in the path. If that happens, we're going to talk to Gregory Copley, and you're going to want to hear what he has to say. So overnight, you know, I hate to keep banging the drum on this unrest in the street. We're going back to Portland Overnight, uh, these these Antifa and BLM violent rioters have been emboldened by their, uh, their leftist mayor. I think he's a closet Antifa himself. And the governor of the state, Kate Brown, and their congressional delegation that is, uh, has sort of given their imprimatur on, on their rioting in the streets and, uh, and come down on the side of the rioters and against federal law enforcement. And last night they were all um, uh, engaging in sort of military tactics, like you would have seen in um, in Braveheart, where they've all got these uh, makeshift shields and they're advancing, you know, a few steps at a time, and then dropping down behind their shields and lobbing frozen water bottles and and rocks and uh, other projectiles over at the federal troops. And you know, it occurred to me while I was watching that it, it, it's time that we. Start exercising a little bit of imagination in dealing with these uh, these lunatics. One thing uh, they they love to come out at night. I guess they're sleeping all day. Um, probably most of them have never had an actual job in their lives. Actually, I shouldn't say that because um, Andy No has uh, has exposed a lot of them and uh, and they're they're working at the uh, county school system or the local community college or uh, financial advisory firm. several of them are lawyers. So, But we're going to have to start getting as creative in putting down these riots and identifying these people so that they can be held uh, to account before the law as the the rioters are in uh, dodging accountability. One of the things I'd like to see is for the federal uh, agents to put up giant floodlights about 10 stories up on the uh, Mark O. Hatfield Federal Courthouse in Portland. And make it daylight. Turn the night into day. Just flood that area around there with light. For one thing, these people like to operate in the dark because it's easier to conceal their identities. And uh, and two, it will allow uh, the the feds to more easily uh, see what's coming at them. Another thing I would do is, you know, those uh, those high rises have standpipes in them i would set up water cannons um you know about four or five floors up i wouldn't use them you know ballistically i wouldn't be uh you know using fire hoses for crowd control but i would certainly make it rain i would wet them down i'd have them so soaked they'd be miserable every time they uh they came up there i would just wet everybody down i saw a um a video out of Israel they were using or developing some new crowd control device they called it skunk it was a stink juice that they uh they sprayed on the protesters man would I love to see these protesters sprayed with uh some sort of skunk juice uh that you know wouldn't come off easily so that they could uh they could take that back to their mommy's basement with them Another thing they need to be doing, you know, they they use these uh, paintball guns. They put them uh, pepper balls in them, and uh, they use them for crowd control because uh, you can direct it more instead of just flooding the whole street with CS gas. You can direct it to right at uh, a particular target. But I would like to see them uh, also use that with some indelible ink to start marking the uh, the the. the Writers that are actually engaging in the illegality. What they keep saying is, you know, the, the protest was mostly peaceful and that's because the, the big crowd is sort of standing back. And then the people that are going to engage in, um, uh, in attacks and arson and throwing, um, bricks and rocks and frozen water bottles, they, uh, they dodge in and out. And then it becomes very difficult to recognize these people and arrest them later. I would like to see some sort of indelible ink that they could start shooting these bad actors they're all bad actors but uh, the the ones that you know are committing felonies so that they uh, they can be identified and arrested later they don't like they don't like to be identified i can tell you that they're very careful to try to keep from being identified if uh if the media or a local blogger shows up filming he uh he immediately gets attacked with words like this Camera down! Camera down, mother! Yeah, camera down, mf'er. i don't want you filming us while we're breaking the law. That particular clip came out of Seattle when, when the peaceful, the mostly peaceful rioters were uh, ransacking a local uh, Amazon grocery store. The left has lost their minds. You know, I want this stuff to end because I, I feel bad for the business owners and the the employees in those areas that are just having their their downtowns destroyed and their livelihoods destroyed. But at the same time, you you can't help but to think that this is going to work in Trump's favor because he has he has uh, donned the mantle of law and order leaving old Joe Biden over there on the, the sidelines, you know, sputtering and trying to, uh, to walk that fine line between not being overtly in favor of chaos and anarchy, while at the same time not, uh, not alienating his base. And let's face it, those people out there in the streets, those are Democrat voters. and They might not be excited over old Joe Biden, but when they go to the polls, they're going to vote for the Democrat Party. Here's a clip of John Heilman, John Heilman over there on Morning Joe, um, you know, doing his best impersonation of Chicken Little. We're looking
2: at a potentially a trial run for a kind of a genuine attempt to 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 through intimidation and potentially through force to. Uh, to try to steal this election? Unmarked paramilitary units going to be uh, doing security at the polls in, in battleground
1: states? I think that's a question we'd like to have answered. <laughs> well, I I would like to have some security at the polls because if these idiots get this hyped up before the election, you can imagine you know the kind of tactics they will engage in to try to shut down Republican voting precincts. And I don't know if, you know, these Democrat governors, I, I'm thoroughly convinced that Ted Wheeler is, uh, is on the side of the rioters and, in fact, doing his part to stir this unrest. But in state after state across this country, the Democrats are going to be uh, stigmatized by their support of these rioters. Tucker said it best.
2: Political leaders in Portland are doing nothing to stop this. In fact, they're affirmatively taking the side of the rioters. This is the armed wing of the Democratic Party. These are their militia. They're blaming the police for the violence.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're you're inciting violence when you come and try to protect the courthouse and defend it and keep it from being burned down like other buildings have been burned down by Antifa and BLM. That's their line, and they're sticking to it. This is the result of turning a blind eye to these Antifa radicals in the streets. Ever since 2016, the New York Times going on, yes, it's okay to punch a Nazi, and we get to decide if you're a Nazi. If you disagree with us, you must be a Nazi. You know, one of the most disappointing personalities on Fox News, there are several of them, but Judge Knapp has got to be uh, the worst. He has this imprimatur of being a judge and yet he he says he makes legal opinions from his perch there on the, the shows that they have him on that are nonsensical and obviously just wrong. I'm not a lawyer. I'm definitely not a judge. I've been able to call Judge Knapp out on his, his errors before and the, the federal courts have ultimately validated my point of view. He was saying that the The Muslim ban was going to be struck down despite the fact that it wasn't a Muslim ban. It was a a, a ban of visas from countries that had high level of terrorist activity. Now, if they just so happen to be Muslim countries, mostly, not all, mostly, that doesn't preclude the president of the United States from doing his job to secure us from terrorism. Here's Judge Knapp weighing in on whether or not, as the Democrats say, the president is violating the Constitution by sending federal troops in to protect federal facilities. So the federal government can't do what it doesn't have the authority, and it shouldn't do anything without the coordination
2: of the locals. And if the mayor, for whatever sound or perverse reason he may have, does not want the feds in his streets... And if the governor doesn't ask for them or the legislature doesn't ask for them, this is Madison, David. This is the Constitution. They can't go there. It's plain and simple as that. And if the people are suffering, they have to elect, elect a new mayor.
1: That's one of the most idiotic things I've ever heard Judge Napolitano say. The federal government can go anywhere in this country, any city, any state, any tribal land, to enforce federal laws. They are sovereign. The federal government is sovereign. We we settled that issue uh in the in the 1860s, the federal government is sovereign. They don't need an invitation. They don't need permission. If you're violating federal law, whether it's engaged in terrorism or narcotic activities, or or ter- or um, you know trying to set off bombs or attacking federal insta- uh, installations, federal government can come right in there and arrest people hell they can go into city hall and arrest Ted Wheeler if he uh, if he violates federal laws Judge Knapp's just plain wrong hey man I gotta run out to a break stick with us we'll be right back Mojo. Mojo. so did you see these films out of chicago uh where the antifas started to try to uh, pull down the statue of christopher columbus before they could uh, the chicago police department uh, rallied around it and enforced it and this this statue is up on um a pedestal and uh, there's sort of a, a low wall around that pedestal so the police formed a circle around it and uh, the antifas that were growing in numbers started attacking them throwing frozen water bottles they actually had video of uh, you know aerial video of these uh, antifas coming out and uh, dumping dozens and dozens of these frozen water bottles out of a bag and then uh, the pro- the protesters almost said it the rioters uh, picking them up and, and uh, hurling them at the police officers who were basically, you know, just uh, sitting target. 45 Chicago police officers were sent to the hospital. These are her mostly peaceful protests that the Democrats keep talking about 45 police officers. Some of them are going to have such ser- serious head injuries that they can never return to work. And who would blame them for not wanting to return to work when you're up against the mob and, and your, uh, elected bodies are actually on the side of the mob like they are in New York city as well. Actually, before I go there, let me, uh, let me play you a clip here. This is from the, um, uh, the union head for the police in Chicago, the fraternal order of police union president asking the president for help. The head of the Fraternal Order of Police is appealing to President Trump for help addressing what he describes as the chaos on the streets of chicago in that letter john catanzara calls mayor Lori Lightfoot a quote complete failure who is either quote unwilling or unable to maintain law and order here now, president trump recently sent her and governor pritzker a letter critical of their handling of violence in our city the city responding saying quote we will not dignify this or any other political stunt i think that report was from wor there in chicago But in New York City, where they're uh, they're continuing to have people uh, injured in these violent confrontations with Marxists, the commissioner for the NYPD, his name is Dermot McShay, says he can't keep up with all the injuries.
2: I mean, we've had attack after attack on police officers. I'm losing count of the officers that I'm calling at home, uh, injured, having surgery. Uh, This is just in the last week.
1: Just in the last week, injured, having surgery, you know, when one of these officers gets injured and ends up on, on disability, that is a huge financial burden to uh, the city. Because not only are, have they lost a cop that they have to replace, train, uh, put out on the streets, you know, uh, equip. But now they've got uh, the disability benefits to pay for life. And this is such an utter and complete abdication of these elected mayors mostly office that you wonder how the co- country is going to survive And another thing this country is going to have a very hard time well before i go on i, I want to I did play you this one clip this is joe biden i think he's starting to realize that that he's on the wrong side of this issue uh and that the voters that uh, i think i saw close to 80 percent say are, are opposed to defunding the police and alarmed by all of this unrest you see. So Joe Biden is doing his best, um, you know, through his, his scrambled cerebral cortex there to try to get right on the issue.
2: But the minority is real trouble and they're causing great difficulty for police and they're also causing great difficulty for jurisdictions that, in fact, are still trying to have to maintain law and order. Every single community, black community, Hispanic community, Asian Pacific community, Muslim community, they're looking to be safe.
1: Are the white communities not looking to be safe? Do the white communities not count in Joe Biden's... um, equation there of people who want to be safe from assaults in the streets and having their businesses destroyed
2: single community black community hispanic community asian pacific community muslim
1: community they're looking (laughs) even the asian pacific community got a mention in there but not the whites
2: to be safe they do not want things to be reckless but they have to we have to have a, a circumstance where there are responsible police officers that are
1: in charge with basic fundamental rules the police officers do have basic fundamental rules, and the rules that uh, you guys are trying to push on them out of the Democrat Party is going to be impossible to keep order on the streets. But I want to talk about uh, the other big issue, and that is the Democrats are, have got their voter fraud operation hitting on all cylinders now. They are in every district possible uh, planning to send mail ballots mail-in ballots to everybody on the voter list despite the fact that many of these people haven't voted in over a decade and no longer live there so you know somebody's going to get that ballot and uh, there's there's no process in place to verify the ballots and so the democrats are preparing the ground by uh, assembling this huge army 10,000 attorneys to to uh, rush into these districts that, uh, you know, they're caught, busted, you know, engaged in this mail-in ballot voter fraud to bog down this election if and when old Joe Biden loses. (laughs) I got to play this clip again.
2: We have a whole group of lawyers who are going out to every polling, every uh, uh, voter registration physician in
1: the states. Every voter registration physician in the states. Here's uh, the main thing he had to say about it.
2: We are continuing to push what Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the House did. They passed the money to allow for voting in place to have have not only voting by mail, but also voting in place by providing the necessary equipment for social distancing, sanitation. We've 10,000 people have volunteered. We're going to try to get them plugged in as poll workers. Not for us. Not for us.
1: We're we're going to try to get them plugged in as poll workers. Not for us. Not for us yeah they're uh they're preparing to to try to make this this election uh so muddled and so foggy that they can declare themselves uh victorious and then accuse Trump of being an autocrat who refuses to accept the results of the election. Well, the president started his uh, coronavirus briefing back up yesterday at five o'clock actually the day before yesterday. I gotta say I didn't think it went too great He's a a little rusty We're gonna cover a lot more On the the hysteria That's being whipped up by the media On the coronavirus uh, Based on the way That they're skewing the numbers Lies, damn lies, and statistics And these statistics that they are presenting To you are in fact Damn lies We're gonna run out to a break and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Gregory R. Copley, president of the International Strategic Associ- Studies Association, to talk about the failure of the, the possible failure of the Three Gorges Dam in China. Right after these messages, on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Stick with us.
0: check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwanns.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details.
1: And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Well, in this country, we are focused on the problems related to the coronavirus and its debilitating effects on our economy, as well as the unrest we see in our cities. But we've paid far less attention to the crises affecting our number one geopolitical foe, of course, China. Not only is China's economy suffering, but their crackdown on the Uyghurs, and democratic freedoms in Hong Kong, as well as border conflicts with their neighbors, have exposed a repressive regime on the world stage. Add that now to biblical rains that threaten to break the Three Rivers Gorge Dam in Ubei Province. Yes, that Ubei Province. And you have the kind of failures and instability that threaten to destabilize the Chinese Communist Party and its dictator for life, Xi Jinping. To discuss this, we're joined now by Gregory R. Copley, President of the International Strategic Association and author of the new book, The New Total War of the 21st Century. You can get that at strategicstudies.org. Gregory, thanks for joining us.
3: Delighted to be with you, Jim.
1: So uh, I have to admit, I've been focused on uh, all of our domestic uh, troubles of late, and uh, I I really didn't realize that the Three Rivers Gorge Dam, which is located upstream from uh, Wuhan, is uh, is uh, undergoing biblical rains and showing signs of instability and uh, and forcing the the communist regime to uh, to actually flood many of their own cities. Tell us what's well, going on.
3: Yeah, well, it's, it's perhaps even worse than that. But uh, the, the net result is you could say that the mandate of heaven by which Chinese rulers have historically governed uh, China is now over as far as the Chinese Communist Party is concerned. Uh, the uh, Well, let's just deal initially with the, the flooding and earthquakes which are, are occurring this year uh, at levels which uh, are Uh, historically unmatched, that is, they they exceed um, recent written uh, records. So in some areas, these floods and and, uh, earthquakes and the combinations are worse than they've been for a century. Are earthquakes Uh, actually affecting the Three Rivers Gorge Dam as well? uh, Well, yes, they are indirectly, and they're getting closer and closer. There was, uh, some weeks ago, there was a 3.2 Richter scale earthquake, close, uh, and a shallow one, close to uh, the... uh, uh, above the dam on the Yangtze River, uh, and uh, it caused landslides and so on into the into the river. All of these things start to compound it, and of course you've got a very unstable uh, ground environment there. Uh, you've got now a flooding affecting something like 97% uh, of of the um, Chinese population, mainland Chinese population. Although in the in a lot of the uh, grain growing areas in the north we're we're seeing uh, drought which is which is another sign, if you like of the pestilence they've got not just drought but they've also got the locust plague and the like so this is really something which came at the wrong time for the communist party and particularly for president xi uh the uh the pressure on the on the three gorges dam is now uh way above anything which uh was expected initially the dam when it was built was claimed to be able to withstand a thousand year flood now it, uh, it, and, it was completed about a decade ago if, uh, am i correct yes that, that's correct uh, but in fact when uh, immediately after it was was be- finished with this claim of a, being able to cope with a thousand year flood it they, they then revised that to a five hundred year flood to a hundred year flood and now to well we don't know and now what we're seeing is uh, uh, the fact, the outcomes of all of the corruption associated with that dam construction, which was to to save money, to, which was used to pay off many officials. Uh, they used inferior con- concrete, inferior uh, steel in in the structures, uh, and this was told to them at the time. And uh, basically, they were they were told this is that's just a racist comment from foreign observers, and uh, it's too late now anyway. But the the concrete structures were not fixed into the bedrock. Uh, they, uh, so they, they are also moving, they're now moving. When you saw a satellite picture uh, overhead uh, of the uh, dam when it was first constructed, it was a nice straight line. now it's it's like a jagged set of of teeth uh, that the, the blocks have moved and and yesterday the Communist Party actually admitted that, yes, there's been some movement in the big blocks of the dam, and, yes, there has been some leakage. So the dam uh, is way above danger level, uh, as are the dams and waterways above uh, the, uh, the Three Gorges Dam and the rivers feeding into the Yangtze, uh, and so this, there's more to come. Now, if, uh, if the the dam gives way then it's, it's catastrophic, obviously. Not just for Wuhan, which is the, major, the first major city downstream, but downstream from the Three Gorges Dam are also Beijing and Shanghai. You've got a, a floodplain there which contains about 400 million people, all of whom would be at Jesus. risk. So this is massive. So the collapse of the dam would be the end of the Communist Party. But you couple that with all of the other disasters, the... Are most the of
1: their industries located across, along that uh, that path
3: oh, as well? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you, you you're wiping out the uh, most of what remains of the already declining uh, Chinese GDP. Uh, they're, they're really in bad shape. They're, their economic decline began about a decade ago. So even when Xi Jinping uh, took office, he uh, was he took over literally just past the peak of the PRC economy, and since then, the whole myth of Chinese economic growth has been just that—a myth. They've they worked to con- contrive artificial figures to uh, to show a, an increase each year in GDP, but the reality is that it's been a very hollow GDP uh, created, and it's been getting worse and worse uh, as the, as the country has become economically uncompetitive but then you have that coupled to the coronavirus outbreak from Wuhan and the fact that the communist party again suppressed information about that and um, that has uh, led to immense distrust particularly now uh, when the, the the public no longer believes anything that the communist party says so
1: you've got uh well I remember, when, I remember i remember when they brought this dam online it was advertised mm. as the biggest dam in the world at the time it was a huge source of national pride now mm. you're telling me it's just sitting on bedrock and not anchored into bedrock and uh, its failure would be a major blow to the the psyche of of uh, china and the chinese people and uh, thoroughly discredit the communist party
3: that's that's it in a nutshell apart from the the actual physical damage which it would do to the population oh to God. its ability to to sustain itself uh the, the chinese economy is now in a pala situation they've got food shortages starting this year uh they neglected uh to resolve their agricultural problems because they were just too overwhelming for the past couple of decades and so they, they've gone on, a, on a, bin, a binge of increasing food importation and as the urbanizing has occurred and you've we've moved in the last few decades from a 25 percent urbanization rate to about 58 percent now uh, urban wealthier populations demand food which is far more water intensive to produce Protein. Pork, yeah, yeah pork and beef and the like uh, they also use more water uh, water uh, hong kong has got uh, sorry um, china has got uh, some 20% of the world's population 7% of the world's water of that they admit that 25% is polluted in fact it's about 80% and uh, because the, the water table itself is polluted which is why uh, you just don't get the agricultural productivity that they need or the quality so china's now becoming existentially dependent upon imported food in a way we haven't seen with a major power since the collapse of the Roman
1: empire. And yet with all of these problems, internal problems, China is continuing to press conflicts on its border with India and, uh, and, uh, in the South China sea. And even with Russia, yeah. you would think that they would be a little bit more circumspect and, uh, and, and be more focused on internal crises, uh, and yet they've uh, they've overextended themselves on the international front. Well, yes. And, and in fact, uh,
3: doing exactly what Lieutenant um, general Leopoldo Galtieri did when he was the last dictator of, of uh, Argentina in 1982 uh, to to basically get a, a win uh, to restore the prestige and uh, respect for the military government, he invaded the Falkland Islands without thinking of the consequences. Uh, it had Maggie Thatcher thrown in the town and said, Oh, I guess you won. That's yours. Please take our Falkland Islands. He would have probably been seen as a successful leader and might have stayed in office another year or two. But when Britain reacted and rejected the Argentine invasion, that was the end of Galtieri. Now we, we see, president Xi in a similar situation where he is looking for that last minute desperate gamble but he's aware that a last minute desperate gamble like uh, an attack on Pearl Harbor uh, as Japan did in 41 uh, or Galtieri did in the Falklands in 82 these are um, plagued with risk He, he he's sensible enough not to try to do that. So uh, now the, the uh, challenge he met on the uh, border in Kashmir with with Indian forces actually had some real strategic relevance because India last year did what she was not able to do in Hong Kong. In, in other words, India last year s- sent a million of its own troops to invade its own autonomous province of Kashmir, basically uh, as a pr- preparatory to a strategic coup de you know, a major advantage against uh, China. Uh, the, what India is planning to do is to cut across uh, Azad Kashmir, which is Pakistani-controlled part of Kashmir, so that, firstly, it would cut China's land access to the Indian Ocean via uh, Kashmir and Pakistan. Secondly, it would put China into Central Asia as a trading partner, flanking China to the west. So China had to confront that. But when the PLA actually wanted to test out the resolve of the Indian government at, at that recent clash uh, in Ladakh in, in uh, Kashmir, in the, the Indian response it? was... Yes, it's in the Himalayan area. The response was overwhelming. Uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi of India went up there and said, "Oh, look, we didn't put a million troops in here for nothing. Uh, you want to, you want to try something? Bring it on." Well, it would be much more difficult for China to project power through the Himalayas uh, and into Kashmir uh, than it is for India to defend against that. Um, so, what we're going to see is now uh, China being outmaneuvered by India. Now. She had to do a few weeks ago was back down from that, so then he started to look at other areas where he could regain at least some stature, some prestige domestically, and that was to hint that uh, okay we've now got Hong Kong more or less under control, and we're now looking at at Taiwan, so he started looking at how to invade some small sections of Taiwanese outlying islands, uh, such as the Tongshu Group, uh, about 120 kilometres southeast of, of Hong Kong. Is that, that what prompted the, the
1: deployment of the new British uh, carrier group to, to uh, the South China Sea?
3: No, that'll come later, but, but basically everything is moving against them right now, the, the response to everything, and, and Hong Kong was the, the big trigger point as far as the British were concerned. But the Brits had already committed to putting a, a carrier strike group into the Indo-Pacific region uh, as soon as it was ready, and that's going to be next year.
1: You and know, no, one of my great bases. regrets of our current foreign policy is that we never capitalized on our uh, victory over the Soviet Union in the Cold War and brought Russia into the Western um, you know, family of nations. And now, in the aftermath of the, the Russia hysteria in 2016, mm. we've actually pushed them into the arms of China and Correct. yet, China and Russia have their own conflicts uh, in Siberia, where both of them claim major uh, territory and each other inside each other's borders. How do you think that that budding uh, alliance is going to play out? Well, it's not playing out
3: very well. The the Russians and and uh, Chinese uh, have a, a great antipathy towards each other. They have strong rivalries. They each now have about a, a million square miles of territorial claims each against the other. so And that's not going to go away. Uh, when she, uh, out of some desperation, reacted to a, an announcement of the 160th anniversary of the founding of Vladivostok recently, uh, they triggered a big thing saying, well, this is really Chinese territory and so on. Well, the Russians re- responded to that very badly. Mm-hmm. And as you say, uh, after Reagan and Thatcher left office, we, we saw George H.W. Bush literally keep thinking of Russia, post-Soviet Russia, as though it were the Soviet Union, When in reality Thatcher and uh, and Reagan saw the nationalists in Russia as allies of the West which they were, and that by the way included Boris Yeltsin and it, did, it included um, Putin at that time as well, who was uh, one of these closet nationalists there working within the system in uh, a group called Pamyat, which means memory because they never forgot the Russian nation
1: it's we, just I, such a tragedy that we never uh, capitalized on uh, all of the trillions of dollars that we spent during the Cold War. We finally yeah. won it. And then, uh, you know, these foreign policy elites, educated at elite schools, didn't recognize the opportunity and seize upon it. Either that or they were just uh, feathering their own nest by keeping the uh, the, the conflict alive. I, I don't know.
3: Well, it, it was smugness, it was ignorance, and this goes very much back to George H. W. Bush, Bush Forty-One, uh, in that he said, "We must. We now have the the peace dividend to to spend." So essentially, they took the, they took their eye off the ball. They they stopped investing in defence instead of doing what they needed to do, which was to take defence thinking as well as defence spending to a, a, a new level where it would create preparedness for the next type of war, which we now see emerging, this new type of total war, which is total amorphous warfare, which it includes the the uh, subversion of your adversary's societies. And that, look, th- what we see is uh, Beijing now trying to take advantage of the uh, coronavirus epidemic. They're using that as a, as a means to undermine President Trump. And here's the reality. What what uh, Xi thought would happen is that he could help remove Trump from office and thereby alleviate the main source of pressure against his, his government. Reformation uh, of the trade deals. Yes, yeah, and, and uh, basically what's going to happen is that the crises are, are mounting for Xi in advance of the, the U.S. election. But nonetheless, the, the Communist Party of China has as its main goal the support of President presidential aspirant uh, Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. I mean, basically, that, as far as the Chinese Communist Party is concerned and, and Xi himself, basically the, the objective is get Trump out of office and get, give us some breathing space. The fact that, that Xi might not last even that long uh, is... Wouldn't that is, be delicious? Yeah, well, what's happening now in, in about uh, a week or two at the, by the uh, uh, gathering, which is the annual... Secret conclave of the Communist Party leadership, the the real uh, top leadership in the Politburo and the like, is uh, that they have summoned Xi and uh, Premier Li Sheng to to that, and basically uh, we we may see that they will not survive that little conclave they may be forced to retire they may be forced to just do as the communist party leadership wants and that would basically have to be now because they've got no other resource they may have to pull pull back into a domestic only uh, focus so that they can control the chinese population and and if you like desist from any foreign adventurism, and that's the end then of the the great Chinese uh, rise as a strategic power. How the world, how the worm
1: has turned! It was only a couple of years ago where Xi was uh, um, had the whip hand and having himself um, appointed as uh, a premier for life. The Chinese Communist mm-hmm. Party is that right?
3: Well, that's right. They saw him as as someone who could galvanize the country, but they also saw him. Uh, within the the Communist Party elite, as the only member of or presidential a- uh, aspirant or and uh, and leadership aspirant who didn't have a power base, so you didn't have Xi uh, Zemin's faction fighting another faction, for example, uh, for for the for, for the, who to nominate for the next presidency. They 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 were happy to put in she uh, she uh, Jinping because he didn't have a power base and therefore didn't. Wasn't answerable to Jiang or any of the others, which so she then immediately tried to make the People's Liberation Army his power base. In reality, the PLA made him their puppet, um, and and but the, the reality is that the Party, which controls the PLA ultimately, uh, will uh, you know can do what they like with Xi and he is. Not as powerful as he wants. He's used his position to try to get rid of as many opponents as possible, but he hasn't been able to touch the real power core, which are meeting him, uh, summoning him to uh, uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks.
1: I would love to have you back after that conclave and ask you uh, what how how you read its outcome. Gregory Copley, I I really appreciate having you on. Uh, If you could hang on uh, after the break, I'd love to talk to you about your new book, The New Total War of the 21st Century, if you have the time. I do indeed. Stand by. Mojo. If
2: you have thyroid eye disease and the pain in the back of your eye is forcing bad words from your mouth, it might be time to discover another treatment option. To learn more, visit TreatMyTed.com. That's TreatMyTed.com. If you have thyroid eye disease, and you can't get any shut eye because you can't shut your eyes, it might be time to discover another treatment option. To learn more, visit TreatMyTed.com. That's TreatMyTed.com.
1: Mojo. Well, we're talking to Gregory Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association and author of the new book, The New Total War of the 21st Century. You can get the book at strategicstudies.org. That's strategicstudies.org. Gregory, uh, just tell us uh, what this book covers. Uh, how many books have you written now? I, I know you've got a, quite a few. Yeah,
3: this is my 36th book. 36 actually. books. Uh, mostly on on. Uh, strategic issues and uh, strategic philosophy and some on aviation and the like uh but generally looking at geopolitics grand strategy and the like uh so i've been at, at this for over 50 years so you know that's that's the key uh you, you stick around long enough some some things stick in your mind but this this book uh, really looks at how the how strategic warfare has changed and is changing and will change through the twenty first century, and and why uh, the the Chinese actually learned what was going on in the twentieth century, learned from the collapse of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union in nineteen ninety ninety one, and reshaped their approach. So, uh, in nineteen ninety nine, is,
1: is it fair to say that when you're talking about the the new total war of the twenty first century, you're talking about a post um conventional military type of struggle
3: it is indeed i mean conventional military confrontation forms a part of the equation but a much smaller part than you you would like this is why it it was clear that for example general madison general kelly when they were uh, initially in the administration with president trump didn't get what president trump was trying to do he was Maneuvering in a grand strategic sense, he used the military as a as a negotiating tool, uh, particularly with the North Korean situation and with Iran, to push them into a, into a, a a corner. He he had uh, no intention, unless provoked, to use the U.S. military for kinetic conflict because he knows that's expensive. He also knows uh, that when you use your great instruments of strategic prestige that once used they lose their potency to a degree which was why he saw and and we also and i pointed it out uh, in stuff which i gather he's read uh, that the use of for example carrier strike groups uh, to actually conduct military operations b1s b2s and so on in iraq and afghanistan Actually, diminish their prestige. Uh, once you use it, people say, "Oh, is that all it is? We, we, we survived that. Uh, we thought we were all going to be obliterated, and here we are. We're still around, despite the B ones and B 2s And you know, those Americans just think they can throw money around. And well, you know, nothing diminishes something.
1: your uh, prestige, uh, your military prestige, worse than occupying a, uh, a you know a godforsaken country for twenty years and getting bogged down and not learning the lessons of history that um, that Afghanistan is the place that empires go to die. Well, uh, well it, it's that's the, that's the case. Now, you can do some very uh, important things in
3: Afghanistan, but if you go about it the right way and you've got to learn from history, uh, you also have to have something which no U.S. administration until President Trump had, which was to have a goal, to have missions, to have a strategy. Why do you want to be somewhere and what do you wish to achieve? Uh, And what we saw after literally almost two decades in Afghanistan is we still don't know why we're there. We've actually lost the U.S. advantage, which it gained after the Cold War, uh, in influencing and befriending Central Asian states and wooing them away from both uh, the People's Republic of China and Russia. Uh, so essentially, uh, we we had on a plate the gift of friendship and and uh, hope from the the five key Central America, Central Asian stands the, uh, the 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 countries which had been part of the Soviet Union and the Russian Empire before that. Uh, they were delighted to be able to work with the West, and the 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 goal should have been. Not to punish people for uh, the World Trade uh, Towers attack, which was, by the way, not the Afghans at all. It was, of course, Al Qaeda. It was a Saudi link group. Oh,
1: I always believed we should have most definitely go in and, and get uh, Al Qaeda and, and kill bin Laden, but we even made a hash of that. And we hired yeah. local warlords to blast them over into the one nuclear armed Muslim nation in the world where we could not follow. Well, uh, and the, by the way, the Pakistanis warned the
3: U.S. about that. The Pakistanis were adamant, saying, look, do not go about this the way you, you're advocating. Let's do this more sensibly. Let's flash them out. And, and uh, they were adamant uh, that the U.S. Uh, was going about it the wrong way and inviting disaster, not only for the United States but for Pakistan, and that's been the case. It brought the war into Pakistan uh, and brought them, the Islamists, which they themselves hate, uh, so we, we've actually blown all that. Uh, uh, we, we, one of the things that we've seen in the West is how easily and without th- thought we we dispense with allies, uh, who, people who are willing to work with us and help
1: us. But instead, we
3: want to blame our
1: allies for for our own failings. Greg, we've just got a couple of minutes left, and I want to te- I want to ask you: Where do you see the American strategic advantage in these uh, these new uh, fronts? in the uh, the book "New Total War of the Twenty First Century" that you talk about.
3: Well, uh, the United States has the strategic depth, and, and I mean that in in sociological terms, and in resources, and in geography, uh, which which really outmatch anything uh, in the world. So the United States has that potential. However, in order to have that those assets be used as as, as in, in building strategic strength or rebuilding strategic strength. The U.S. has to overcome the internal civil war which is now underway, this polarization of society between urban globalists, utopianists, and and nationalists on on the other side. Uh, Right now, we we are not even seeing that an election in November will resolve that. Whoever wins, uh, it's not going to be resolved. Or if we even know who wins. (laughs) <laughs> well yes and in, in fact we're seeing this this polarized society which we are not addressing one of the advantages of china had it come out and, and actually directly attacked the united states in a la japan in 41 would have been the, the would have galvanized all americans to understanding that there was an existential threat to the entire country right now the urban globalists think that they can just continue their path without having to acknowledge the rest of the country. And that actually is becoming the fatal disease,
1: which is challenging the U.S. Gregory R. Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association and author of the new book, The New Total War of the 21st Century. You can get it today at strategicstudies.org. That's strategicstudies.org. Gregory, thank you so much for this. I hope you'll come back and join us again when you can. I'm looking forward to it, Jim, anytime. Thank you. Well, that takes us to the end of this edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you for joining us and invite you back here again tomorrow, right here on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. We'll talk to you then.
0: Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your Connected Home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit DeltaFaucet.com slash Voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more.
2: Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drug drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. Message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department.